Lord, this morning, we pray that you'd hit us right where you want us to be hit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, this is the message this morning. It's the tale of two dinners. It's a comparison, really, of the world's way and Jesus' way of doing life. Um, every time I, we, we start on a speaking tour for the year, I prepare a message and then I sort of deviate like jazz, you know. You, and today I feel God really calling me to deviate a bit. So Ruth, forgive me for this. That's, Ruth hates it when this happens because I end up talking too long. <laughs> Is that true? No. No, she says not true. Okay. Um, so on the left you've got the kid saying, uh, touch my cake and I will cut you. And on the other side you've got a different kind of dinner. Next slide. Hey, someone's changed the pictures on this. Who was up there before? Hey, this is really good. Can I have a copy of this? You guys tidied this up for me. All right. I'm not going to read all of Matthew 14, 1 to 21, because it's quite a long passage. But um, you may not have ever reflected on this, but there are two dinners in that passage. It starts off with the story of John the Baptist having his head chopped off. Mm -hmm. And then how is it presented to Herod's daughter on a plate? And then... Immediately after that comes the next story. Does anyone remember what the next story might be? It's the feeding of the 5,000. And um, it's deliberately put in there straight after that story with John the Baptist. Because there's two different ways that you can have a meal in life. You can use power and violence and strength and money to get what you want. Or you can feed people, you can treat them with grace, and you can empower them. So this is the, this is the comparison of these two stories. Uh, on one hand, it starts off uh, where Herod, who was the ruler in that area at the time, Herod, Herod the Tetrarch, I guess it means he ruled over four places. Um, and he's freaking out. Because he's here, Jesus is in town and he's healing people. And he said, um, oh, this is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. That's why, why he's got the miraculous powers that are with him. So um, Herod's not going, oh, hey, this is Jesus. He's freaking out because he thinks it's John the Baptist who he murdered. And, and so the end result of living... That kind of life where you use violence and power and money to get what you want, the end result is fear. It's a terrible life. This is why uh, so many very rich people are actually very sad. Because often you have to do some bad things to get to the top. And you end up living in fear as a result. But uh, then the story of the feeding of the 5,000 comes along. And it starts off with Jesus withdrawing on a boat. 
solitarily going somewhere and then everyone follows him. And this is an opportunity for, uh, for Jesus to influence 5,000 people at once. 4,000, 5,000. Depends on which version, eh? Um, so, uh, if you were the son of God and you had all the power that Jesus had and you wanted to make a big impact, you know what I'd do? I'd go make a huge pile of bread. Look how cool am I, right? And I get all these fishes, wow, 5,000 people's worth of fish and bread. Boom, I'd look really awesome. And that's not what Jesus did. Uh, Jesus takes the, the loaves and the fishes, a very simple meal, and he says to his disciples, start handing it out. And so they go around, and I bet you there was some weird thing going on there going, they just keep more coming out of the basket, right? It's almost like an invisible thing that's going on. And, and at the end, they had all these baskets left over, right? But it's not like Jesus is out to make a point of how awesome am I. He's going, these people need to be fed. Let's get the job done. And I'm not going to be the center of attention. In fact, I'm going to let my disciples do it. Right? So this is an empowering way of doing things. It's, a, it's the total opposite to, hey, let's make a huge pile of bread. Let's show how awesome I am. Let's chop off somebody's head to get my point across. It's totally the opposite. Now, uh, the first way is actually how you live the Herod way, if you live without God at all. If you live by the theory of evolution, uh, and I'm not, uh, I, I, this isn't a discussion about the theory of evolution, but basically the theory of evolution says you are an animal designed to survive and kill and destroy anything else that gets in the way of the survival of your race. The Jesus way says there is a different way. It's the way of kindness, compassion, love, and influence. And this is a huge part of the gospel that we take to the world. So, uh, you know, I was a, uh, trained as a pharmacist here uh, in, in uh, CIT when it was going back in the day. And then I practiced in Upper Hutt here. Uh, and my, my lovely wife Ruth was a teacher, we really felt God calling us to start taking this message out to the world. Uh, and that was the call, uh, it's the call that I believe that is for the whole church. We are called to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And some of us, our task is to go out there a little bit further. Some of you young people some of you older people, God is calling to go out further than you are right now too. Um, next slide, please. So, uh, I've actually gone through this already. This is what I call the delusion of violence. It's the, the, the idea that if you have power and strength and guns and uh, money and the ability to 
uh, wage war with trade or whatever, that you will change the world. And you know what? You will change the world. But not the way that Jesus wants it changed. The Jesus way is by uplifting, by developing, by bringing compassion. Next slide. Okay, so this is a little story uh, about a Honda Accord that I owned back in the uh, 90s. Um, and we were living in Rimataka Street uh, with a, a whole bunch of uh, new refugee families that had moved into the area. And uh, we really felt God saying, hey, go and connect with those people. Um, and, and I think in many ways we did that with a pu- purish heart. We really wanted to go and do that out of a love for, for those new folk who'd come from refugee camps in Asia to live in New Zealand. Uh, and there was a little bit of me, uh, me, not necessarily Ruth, there was a little bit of me that had a bit of a white saviour complex. <laughs> and it's something that's taken about 30 years to begin to iron out. It's still there, you know, it's in all of us. Um, and so um, uh, one of these guys I really connected with, his name was Tuck Tran, uh, and he was just a neat guy, and I loved him like a brother. And um, he needed a car. So I was going to sell my Honda Accord. So I sold him my Honda Accord for a reasonable price. I seem to remember it was $3,000. Uh, and, uh, and then he would go to his menial job, and every day, uh, sorry, every week, he would come, back, come to me, and he would give me $100 until it was paid off. So after it was all paid off, um, I had this idea that I'd got from my grandmother. Uh, when I stayed with my grandmother when I was a little... Sorry. Would you like another one? There you go. <laughs> Happy face, please. <laughs> um, so my grandmother had kept my um, rent from staying with her, and then one day I was really broke, and Granny gave me all my money back, and that was really awesome. I felt very loved, right? But you see, um, do you know the concept of privilege? Privilege is uh, something that you have that you didn't earn. You're born in a certain place with a certain amount of wealth, with a certain uh, dignity, and you didn't deserve that, but you got it anyway. So as a white middle-class male, uh, and my grandmother helping me, that was a very even transaction. But I decided to do the same thing for my friend Tuck Tran. I thought, I'll keep the $3,000 in my top right-hand undies drawer, <laughs> and then when he's paid it back, I'll go and give it to him and say, look, I love you, mate. Uh, here's, here's the money. That was the last time that Tuck Tran ever talked to me properly. It ruined my relationship with him. Because uh, it was a privilege imbalance. He's a poor guy struggling up from the bottom. I come with a, I'm a guy with the money and I'm a pharmacist down the road and 3,000 bucks I can afford to give away. And so me giving it to him actually disempowered him. So uh, unwittingly, by being charitable, by having a bit of white privilege, by having this imbalance... I actually disempowered and ruined that guy. So it took me many, many years to realise 
why I had hurt him. I thought, it's really weird. Why doesn't this guy want to talk to me? I gave him 3,000 bucks. Shouldn't he like me more? Right? But that's just not how it works because he needed the dignity to say, I have earned this. I've worked hard to put my family from the, the, the slums of Asia and, and look, I've earned a car. Which is actually why you see some of these guys who are really poor driving around in big flash vehicles that they probably shouldn't have, that the banks shouldn't probably lend them money for. Because it's about trying to climb out of the hole and say, I belong, I've done something. It's about a sense of wealth. You see, the funny thing is, for those of us who have enough, we can actually afford to have a second-hand car because we don't need to impress anyone. <laughs> but they need to, because they've been pushed down so hard and so far. Next slide. So coming back to the Herod versus the Jesus thing, just a summary here. On, on one side, you've got Herod. He'd made a promise uh, to, to if, if Herod's, uh, if his uh, mistress's daughter did a beautiful dance that she could have anything she want, wanted. And so she asked for the head of John the Baptist on a plate. And he didn't really want to do it, but he had to do it, so he'd made a rash promise. So there was power, pride and promises and violence leading ultimately to Herod's fear. And then on Jesus' side, you've got peace, prayer, empowerment, the subtle handover of responsibility leading to fulfillment. And in a cheesy way, I've said the knife versus the naan. It's a good way to remember it, isn't it? Next slide. Okay, so we work in the country of Myanmar. That's where God has called us to work. Uh, we started off working in Thailand. Then we started working across the border uh, in, into Myanmar. Uh, into uh, one of the darkest places on earth, to be honest. This is the hub of human trafficking for Southeast Asia, that red spot that's called Shan State. Uh, the average age of death is 42 years old in some places. In most villages, almost every child over the age of 16 has been trafficked out. 80% of all women who are sold for $1,000 each in Shan State, go to, any guesses? China. Because China had a one-child policy, they don't have enough men. So what do you do, uh, don't have enough women. So what do you do if you don't have enough women in your country, you go and buy them? And you'll have seen stuff in the news recently about Pakistani women being treated the same, Indian women, uh, from all over the world, uh, a, a billion people's worth of brides need to be bought into China. Uh, so uh, this is 8 million people, and they're very like the Chinese. There's a lot of similarities. So they're, you know, for human traffickers coming in, that's a gold mine for them. And, you know, you say, oh, well, marriage, that's different from human trafficking. Think about this. You go to a country, you have no language, no love, you can't work because you've got no education. So what do you do? You become a baby breeder and you become a human slave around the house and 
that's your lot for life. Get sold into marriage, that is the lot. And of course you hear all the other things. Uh, you know, there's obviously prostitution and all the other things engaged as well. But we also have a huge problem with drugs. Uh, it's the second biggest pr- producer of opium in the world after Afghanistan, which goes, becomes heroin. And it is the biggest producer of meth, probably in the world. Uh, the Chinese uh, uh, will send the raw chemicals to Shan State, and in the jungles of Shan State, these giant meth labs exist. And when we get these, truck, these, these boatloads of meth coming to New Zealand, that's where it came from. So I always say to people, the issue in Shan State is actually New Zealand's issue too, because meth is a huge problem for us. Well, can you imagine what it's like to live in the community where this stuff is produced? I can go into some people's houses and on their ha- they'll have a, a plate on the table with meth tabs. Have one if you like, like lollies. Uh, and they're uh, three for one dollar, right? And and this stuff addles your brain. And just imagine the social damage that's going on. Now, in this situation, this is what God called us to bring the light of Jesus to. And I can't just go and give them $3,000, right? Because I cause all sorts of problems with that. There's a couple of amazing books that you really should read if you're into this stuff. One is called Toxic Charity, and the other is called Where Helping Hurts. If you want to understand the impact of bad development, bad mission work, uh, you, those books will help you understand. Next slide. So this is our logo. Uh, Circuit was started in 2015, but we, we have had uh, a long history of working in the region. But it's a circle like this. And the idea is it's a sustainable circle where we're sharing together, not one side is stronger than the other, not a patriarchy, not me coming and being the white saviour. Um, we have a New Zealand base, but actually uh, we've got a huge team now in Myanmar. Um, nine of our staff just recently came to faith, or nine of our staff and family. Uh, they're the guys who work, work on our corn drying mill. Uh, so we, we, uh, we use the idea of business to empower people. So um, how is doing business different to giving uh, $3,000 to somebody? Well, if I do business, it's a fair interaction. And everyone actually knows how to do business. If you think about it, from the time that you were probably about three, you sold lemonade outside the front of the house. Mum and Dad taught, taught you how to do it, or you, you picked the walnuts on the gra- off the ground and you sold them on the street. Uh, we all do business, actually. We all trade something to get the money that we uh, live off. So um, the idea is that using business, we connect with communities, and through relationships built through that business relationship, we facilitate the dreams of that community. Next slide. So um, many of you will remember uh, back in the day when we were working with Buddhist monks because uh, Myanmar and Thailand are Buddhist countries and uh, uh, we felt that we really needed to understand how does a real Buddhist really think 
If we're going to communicate Jesus, we need to understand how they think. So we spent a lot of early, our early years working directly with Buddhist monks. And I was just commenting with um, someone before. I had, used to have my head shaved. Um, and that was just sort of, tr- not to, I wasn't trying to be a monk, but I was just trying to have some sense of solidarity with those guys. Um, so uh, this is uh, pictures of a village that we worked in on, on the left. Um, and uh, uh, we've been there since 2015. And that's actually, you can't see it, but it's me preaching in a temple, in a Buddhist temple. And that's the monk who's my friend who invited me to share. And they were talking about problems that were happening in their community where uh, all these folk around have been abusing the land and causing huge erosion, which has been flooding this community. So the erosion comes down and it floods all... The rain doesn't go into the ground, it comes down and it floods all their crops. And so um, he said to me, can you talk about it from your perspective? He, He said... You can talk about anything you want. So I talked about Jesus. And I said, you know, uh, you could think about violently protesting against these people further up who are causing all these problems, or you could use the Jesus method. The Jesus method is a sacrificial, self-sacrificial method. I talked about loving your neighbours. And we talked about, hey, maybe if we want to change the situation in this community, you need to reach out to those people further up, invite them down for a meal. And so that community has begun to deal with their problems in part using the, the very core of the gospel, Jesus and the cross. And, and presented in that way was not a problem at all. In fact, uh, this year, that community asked us to do a Christmas presentation. So they said, you Christians, so can you come and tell us about Christmas this year? So they all said, "Uh, isn't that about a guy with a red hat? Yeah, yay. Okay, the gospel of Coca-Cola got there first. Um, So me and the team thought, hey, this is an opportunity. Because St. Nicholas is the actual first... uh, anti-human trafficker. So what St. Nicholas, the story is that he was a bishop in Turkey uh, and he heard about a family, a father with three daughters. He was going to have to sell those three daughters, uh, have them trafficked. And St. Nicholas was from a wealthy family. He threw some money inside. He gave them the $3,000. He shouldn't have done that. But (laughs) anyway, Father, Christmas presents are a bad idea, aren't they? Mm. Not when I was five, but <laughs> um, but uh, uh, and he threw the money in, and it helped the family get out of their situation. Um, so actually, the story of Santa Claus, if you look at the core of it, is actually a really cool story that represents the heart of Jesus. So I said to the guys, "Okay, well, if they want to know about Santa Claus, let's tell them the truth." So I told them to go and buy Santa hats for everyone. And we said, if you wear the Santa hat, you're opposed to having your children trafficked. Now, how cool is that? And that was mainly my guys, my, my team, thinking that through. How can, we, how can we redeem this situation? Next slide. And, and now that community has introduced us to other communities. So we've gone from three villages to nearly, uh, I was, yeah, I think it'll be 16 villages this year. Uh, 
our original one is now reaching out to the others and saying, hey, the, the way these guys help us is really cool, and we'd like you guys to be a part of this too. So um, every one of those villages that we're working in, we have a self-sustaining project in. Here's how it works. We don't give uh, $5,000, we actually about $6,000. We don't give $6,000 to the community. We say we're going to loan you $6,000 for the year. And you have to choose the interest rate. So um, because their interest rates from uh, loan sharks are normally about 90%, uh, they usually volunteer an interest rate of about 25%, which is about what you get on your credit card. Uh, and um, you'd think, well, that's a bit of a shock. But for them, that's a low rate. So uh, they, uh, every year, when the harvest season's finished, they sell the grain, and they give the money back to us immediately with interest. We keep the interest in a bank account, separate bank account, with co-signees with everyone, uh, with the village, and that money accrues. And over five years, they make the same amount, around about the same amount as what they originally had. And then after five years, we take that 6,000 and then we put it in another community. Well, what's happened is that that village has now started sending trainees. In fact, uh, one girl who was going to be trafficked, who's now working with us, is now a trainee training this village. And this village is actually a separate new ethnic group. So they're called the Pa'o, they're not the Shan. Um, and it's just really cool because uh, what happens is that the gospel gets infused as you're doing this. It just... The, the core of why you're doing it is just infused in everything. I don't have to push anything to preach Jesus. Because these guys all know, they know that we're Christians, so there's something about it. And we, we bring uh, uh, Christians from local churches in to work with us. Sometimes we have to um, say, hey, just tone it down a little bit, guys. Just go a little bit slowly. Uh, but um, the, the whole thing is very organic. Next slide. Um, and so... What we've actually got is, if you, if you have a look at those big silos in the back there, this is the big Charon Procurn company, which is the company that gets people into debt in Shan State. It's owned by Thais, but controlled by the Chinese. The purpose is uh, they get corn at the, or maize at the cheapest possible price, and to do that, every year the Chinese work with this company and others to close the border at harvest time. Now, all maize has to be sold and used in China. So what happens if you have just harvested uh, 100 tonnes of maize and you can no longer sell it? It sits there and it starts going off, off, off until you're forced to sell it for half its value. And then it becomes a black market thing and it goes around the back and the Chinese, this company and others, they get filthy rich out of it. Um, and that's actually to supply things like corn syrup that goes into all of our foods, by the way. So we're a part of the, the big problem as well. Um, so uh, this is the big business. And then on the next slide, um, this is our little team. 
Um, so Sai Tunza, with the stripes on, uh, he was a pastor in Bangkok and a, a guy that I discipled uh, early on in his um, Christian life. Uh, and he uh, uh, led the guy on the very right with the sunglasses to the Lord. He's from a different ethnic group, the Korean. He's an incredible evangelist. They've gone and hired uh, two Burmese guys. These two Burmese guys, some of their friends and family have all come to faith just through this relationship. And behind them there is the green of the bird netting that covers the new storage system that we bought into Myanmar uh, back in 2016. So does, do any of you remember the idea of the... Yeah, the silo bags. These are, these are a giant vinyl bag uh, which allows you to store unlimited amounts of grain, depending on how much you can afford, uh, and it allows you to, to uh, get past that problem of the price dip. So you can then hold it until the Chinese eventually have to open the border, and they do, and then the price goes up. So we bought grain for that bag at uh, what... The measurement there is called a vis, so $320 a vis, and we will sell it for probably around $640 a vis in September. All that money goes back into projects. So uh, basically everything that we are currently doing in Myanmar is totally self-sufficient and making money. Um, Any money that we put into from New Zealand is only expanding it. Now, this year we could only afford $80,000 worth of corn. Uh, so we could only afford uh, two full bags of the stuff. But we've got a dream of expanding. And uh, next slide, please. Uh, well, I'm just putting that in there because uh, the, um, the name of the organisation that we work through over there is called the Love Conquers All Foundation. And our slogan is... Love changes everything. Could you get to the core of the gospel more than that? But that's our message to Myanmar and Shan State. Next slide. Uh, so this is our, our, our grain storage machine here on the right. And there's our bags of grain that we've got stored. And now we've got people from other parts of the country coming to see us. So these are other middlemen who are going, hey, we could get better prices. We could give farmers better prices. If we had this technology and we're saying, we can help you. So uh, we took a big risk this year. Uh, we, we borrowed $100,000 from a couple in Timaru, and we've just bought land. Uh, so we've just bought two acres of land for $58,000, and we're going to spend another $40,000 on building buildings on it, and that's going to be our expansion. Uh, so as things go, go on, we're able to store more and more corn for these communities. Next slide. Uh, so all current programs pay for themselves. Next slide. So back to my car. Hopefully uh, we're all learners. Hopefully I'm a learner. I don't want to make the same mistake twice. Doing business, doing this as loans... Doing this in a way that treats somebody as an equal is a far better way to do development than me just simply giving a car. And it's a, it's a far better way to communicate the gospel too. Because you see, everyone is of equal value. When I gave that car to that guy, I was saying, I'm better than you. 
and it's just not true. Next slide. We would like to grow right throughout Myanmar. Right now we're currently operating in that uh, purple bit on the very right-hand side. It's 8 million people. We'd like to expand right across Myanmar. Next slide. But uh, other things are happening too. The Jesus for Life Outreach Church in Uganda uh, is run by a guy who Ruth is friends with that she met through her Masters of Transformational Development course. Um, he wants his church and ministry and outreach into Africa to be self-sufficient. I said to him, I don't have a cent for you, but I do have some help. <laughs> I've had a bit of experience. We've made a lot of mistakes. Um, how's corn going? How's maize going? And me and May says, it's a huge problem. We need storage. I said, well, we can absolutely help you. So for the last month, I've been dialoguing backwards and forwards with this guy, and I've been connecting him with all of our suppliers. And eventually, uh, we've got to go and find somebody to fund his project. He'll have to do that. I said, I'm not getting engaged in Uganda. We've got enough to do in Myanmar. Uh, but the ideas, the concept uh, is working. And this guy sent me a message. We communicate by Facebook Messenger. You know what he said? Thanks for empowering me. Thank God that, Lord, you have begun to deal with the white saviour complex because that enables things to be different. Next slide. All right, so on your um, thing here, uh, we... we um, yeah, I have to do the pitch because that's part of the reason we're here. But we need two loaves and uh, three loaves and two fishes. Because uh, whenever we uh, receive money from investors, uh, we're able to multiply it with God's hand. Uh, and you can see how that happens. Now, I know so many of you are already uh, supporters and on our list. But if, if you are interested in getting more engaged and it's not something that you've done before, please um, fill in one of those and give it to Ruth or I afterwards. It just says, please contact me about supporting circuit. Name, email address and phone number. Um, trying to make it as easy as possible because we used to have these very complicated cards that everybody's struggling to read in the light. Uh, if you're interested, just fill out one of those. The other thing is, this is just something to put in your think tank, um, Ruth and I, uh, well, I'm 52 this year, and Ruth will be a little bit older. <laughs> uh, and, and we're at the point where we're starting to think we need to start mentoring somebody younger than us to understand how this thing works. So we're on the hunt for one or two special individuals who can uh, trail us in our work so that we can sh show them how we think um, things can be done, not should be done. That would be a bit white saviourish, wouldn't it? Um, and so if God has touched you this morning and you think, man, the Lord has been speaking to me about stuff, uh, make no promises, I'll make no promises because it really depends on so many factors. But if there, if there are people who are interested in learning more about this, please do approach your pastors 
uh, or come and see us directly, and we'd love to have some conversation with you. I think that's the last slide. Oh, got to tell you this story. So the last trip that I, I, I was on, um, they were in the process of buying land, um, and so they said to me, we can't show your white face because at the moment your white face is seen by the seller, the price doubles. So they said to me, you have to stay in your hotel. And I stayed in the hotel for a few days and I got really sick one day and then I thought, oh. And I, I said, okay, I'm not going to stay here any longer. So I hopped on a plane and I went to a different region, which is Bagan. It's a very famous old Buddhist area in Myanmar. And I was riding around Bagan trying to get photos because um, photography is one of the ways that we um, self-support. Uh, um, so I was driving around and this guy on the left uh, yells out to me as I was going past on my little scooter. He says, hey, where are you going? And I stopped to talk to him and he said, I know all the great places for photography around Bagan. I said, how much is it going to cost? He said, nothing. He said, I'm an artist. I make... Uh, paintings out of sand and paint. So he mixes sand and paint and he had these things. You just have to have a look at one. You don't need to buy. Uh, of course I was going to buy something from him. Um, but anyway, he took me out for a few hours and afterwards, um, and this is where I got this photo, and afterwards um, uh, he took me to go and see his paintings and I bought one of his paintings which are really cool we worked just getting it uh, framed at home at the moment and I said to him hey what would be your dream if you had what you needed to get done your dream and he said I'd like to be a photographer like you well does anyone know Tony Rismo from Upper Hutt Baptist Church he's a professional photographer guy down at Wellington Photographic Supplies and, and he's been a friend for years and he just got me a deal on a new camera set. Really, I mean, you know, really helped me out. And I had a camera. I said to this guy, well, it's funny you say this. I've got a way of maybe helping you into business. If I could get a camera for you, would you like to go into business? And he said, yes. So... Next time I go, I'm able to take a camera with me and I'm not going to just give it to him. We can have a long discussion about how this business is going to work. We'll make sure that I'm inserted in it, that my team over there is inserted in it. We might, this, this is what may lead to some expansion into another area. Uh, and honestly, it costs nothing to an old second-hand camera. I didn't have a lens, so I bought something for $90 off off uh, Trade Me, and uh, we've got another possibility of a guy launching out on his own, um, standing up on his own two feet. And uh, I kind of felt that this guy in particular, he just had such a lot of initiative. Um, and so what I've noticed is, I've become friends with him on Facebook, I noticed he's been using his phone, and he's been out taking photos all around Bagan, and they started off really average, and now he's taking photos with his phone and I'm thinking, these are getting pretty good. Once this guy gets a real camera in his hand, he's going to make a real business for himself. Uh, this is the Jesus way. And he doesn't even, this guy doesn't even know I'm a Christian at this point. But he'll know once he comes to meet me and he meets all my team and he, it'll start to 
infuse, uh, and then who knows what the future holds. So, yeah, that's the end of my presentation. Ruth, would you have anything that you wanted to add? Yeah, all right, Bruce. That's awesome, Stu. Um, as you guys probably know, Jeanette and I went to Myanmar with, to visit the work that Stu and Ruth were doing in 2010. And um, you know, if, uh, to ju just see him working with the Buddhist monks and, and talking to a number of people, and just he was just looking ideas, 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 ideas. You know that. And you would say, Stu, that since being a pharmacist, you know, the Lord has empowered you in so many ways and just exploded the entrepreneurship gift that was in you and a no number of those things, hasn't he? And uh, it's been a, a fabulous and exciting time for you, isn't it? Yeah. So, so do you feel empowered by what he said? I do. Do you like the idea? A God infuser. We can be God infusers. Doesn't mean we have to be hitting people with the gospel. We just go and do things for them. You know, be it something for perhaps for 4ABC, one of the things Ron's doing, or other things as well. Can you be a God infuser and can you empower others? Lord, I pray. Lord, you don't retire any of us. You still have a plan for us no matter where we are and where we're at. And Lord, I just pray that, that each of us would take time to think, how can I be an infuser? How can I be an empowerer in some way, Lord? Be it um, across the street, Lord, across the city, or somewhere in this country. And Lord, I also pray that if there are any here that you're speaking to about a wider role, getting more involved and and Lord, you know, Stu and Ruth went and started an upper hut with refugees in upper hut, and you led them on to where you have. Lord, we, when we start somewhere, who knows where you might take us. And so I pray, Lord, for your spirit to come upon us and to nudge us, Lord, in your direction that, that you have for us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.